Great. Could we please flick to back to 1 Peter 1 this Easter, Easter evening? 1 Peter 1, just a couple of pages back. And let's pray as we come. Oh, Father God, we thank you so much for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that all of us would be changed by this news this night. We pray that we'd be better able to communicate our faith, better able to understand. For those who come who aren't sure of the resurrection, Lord, may they never forget what they hear now. So, Lord, please be at work, protect us and speak to us, we ask, for the glory of Jesus, who's risen from the dead. Amen. I wonder if you can remember when you were first homesick. Do you remember that? For many, it was perhaps the first time you lived away from home. Perhaps you can remember the first night in your college or university room. And your parents dropped you off and you're looking around your room and you're thinking, I want to be back home with my mummy. Do you remember that? Uh, Now, that is the idea behind the letter of 1 Peter. It is about feeling homesick. That's what it's about. Uh, Can you see chapter 1, verse verse 1? To God's elect, scattered, uh, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And last week we learned that the reason they're scattered is they have been thrown out of Rome, they've been driven out of Jerusalem, they are now tiny oceans of faith, Uh, pockets of faith amidst big oceans of paganism with the Roman uh, world under Nero's leadership, the Emperor Nero getting more and more violent towards them. So they feel like asylum seekers, like strangers. Some of you today, you'll have come to All Souls and you're missing your family back home. It's great to have you in a church family here, but we feel for you. Homesick. I'm sure you might have felt that this weekend. And Peter says... This isn't just because you've moved house or country, this homesickness. It's because you're Christian. Christians are homesick for heaven. And Peter wants his readers to understand what life is like this side of heaven. He wants us to see this world as just a a stepping stone to glory. Um, Until I was seven, I grew up in Chile, then Uganda, and then the Congo. My dad grew tobacco in those different places. But we never considered South America or East Africa our home as a family. We always spoke about going home uh, back to my grandparents' house in the West Country in England in a village called Milverton in Somerset. And that attitude, that understanding is essential for grasping the thrust of one Peter. This is how Christians must think of heaven. And so Peter says, can you see our verse from last week and our resurrection verse from 1 Peter for these last couple of weeks? Can you see as we look down verse 3? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope. How? How do we have the living hope? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And look down to the passage and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So this Easter Sunday, what is the conviction uh, 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 about what our future is based on? It's about the resurrection. It rests on the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead. I know it's against the laws of nature. That's the whole point. God made the world, and he reverses the laws he's made in order to show us who his son is and to give us hope. So we have this eternal life, Because on Easter Sunday, 
On the 17th of April, 33 AD, Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered death for himself and for us. Now, what does this mean? I've been trying to sum up. What does this mean that Jesus conquered death for himself and for us? Do you know what it means, brothers and sisters? It means we're going to win. That's what it means. We're on the winning side. Do you remember what one of the things the resurrection means is? Acts 17.31, For God has said a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all people, to everyone, by raising him from the dead. The resurrection proves there's a day of judgment to come. The future belongs to Jesus and that past certainty proves it. So it's battles now, glory then. Have you got that in place? So what's this life like? It's a bit like the last three or four minutes of a match. And uh, your team is so far ahead, you know you're going to win. And although you're taking huge tackles, there's this joy because you know you're going to win. That's what the resurrection means. We are going to win. So heaven is our home. It's guaranteed by the resurrection. And Christians should be longing to be there. But Peter does not end his letter, do you see, in verse 5. Well, why doesn't he end it in verse 5? You know, we're going to win home? No. Because he carries on in the rest of the letter commissioning us, charging us. He says, your life here really matters. You're ambassadors for Christ. You're away from home, but it really matters now in terms of how you live. Because we need to honor Christ and people need to see that and honor him because we honor him. You know the line, don't you? One man reads his Bible and 99 men read the man. And Peter wants his readers to be prepared for that life, which raises questions. And here's the question, of course, so often, you know, what are you expecting for, for the Christian life? And Peter wants people to know it's going to be tough. Now, hold on to your seats. I don't know what your expectation is. But brothers and sisters, I'm afraid I need to give you on this bank holiday weekend. Do you see verse 6 as we look down? Here's the expectation. In all this, i.e. in the resurrection of Jesus and the future we've got, you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Are you ready for them? Can I tell you one of the reasons that the bishops in the Church of England have so, so agonizingly, agonizingly giving way on biblical orthodoxy with the culture pushing them is because they just weren't ready and prepared for suffering. I know one well, and there's no doubt in my mind that the reason that he apostatized and turned his back, there's no doubt on my mind that he had turned his back on the authentic truth of Scripture was because he had a view of being a bishop that was full of status and the traditional view, and he just couldn't bear the rejection that was going to happen to him from the culture and the establishment. I know that person well. I'm convinced that's why he did it. He was not ready for these trials. Agony. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now, as we come, can we turn over the page, please, to our passage tonight? There's an underlying assumption that the reader should accept, expect to be suffering. So that's the NIV heading. Do you see there? Suffering for doing good. Just to say, that's not inspired, so you can cross it out, but don't, because it's a good heading. It's not put there by the Lord, but nevertheless, it's good, so please leave it. But can you see verse 9? Do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult. And you're going to get both, but don't repay them. 
Do you see what the assumption there therefore must be? People will treat you badly because you're Christian. People will do evil against you. They will mock you. Verses 10 to 12, as we look down, is a quote from Psalm 34, which is all about the righteous believer who suffers. Verse 14, do we see? But even if you should suffer. Verse 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good. And then the culmination of it, really, verse 18, for Christ also suffered. Suffering, hostility, rejection, opposition. Brothers and sisters, they are to be expected. Why? Well, Peter makes a big point of this in his letter because he has challenged us to live countercultural lives. This is the agony of the bishop's decision in the Church of England. Can't they see that we're meant to be countercultural? They need someone who's saying, no, the only place for sex is marriage between a man and a woman. That's the best way. Hold to it. It's the way of human flourishing. So what lives are we to lead? Well, let's have a look. Chapter 2, verse 12. This is how we're to live. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And by the word lives, Peter has two things in mind through this letter. The words that are spoken and the conduct that's lived out. And first of all, I just want to say as we look at this, I just want to say that there was a big survey done of non-Christians about the Christians they knew in Britain uh, pre-COVID. Another one's been done more recently. And it leads me to have to say to many of you here, well done on the lives you're living. The non-Christian in Talking Jesus, this survey, when asked, what do we think of the Christians we knew, we know? And pre-COVID, 67% of people knew a Christian. They said, they're kind. We appreciate them. They're selfless. So brother, sister, well done. Keep going. I know many of you, you know, you're Henry Kissinger's in your family. You're the peacemaker. You're the one serving in the office. Keep going. It matters. So well done. And the point is, though, and this actually talking Jesus said, we've also got something to say, to articulate. And actually, the survey said we're less good at that. And the point is that as we live these countercultural lives, the world will notice, the world will give us a hard time, Christians will suffer, but they'll also want to know what's going on and who we're living for. And as you live a life of good deeds, Peter writes, don't keep your mouth shut. Have a look, do we see verse 15, what he says? But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. You see, there's no call here to retreat from society. The call is not back to the monastery. No, says the Apostle Peter, be ready to say why and what you know and explain without doubt where it is you know you're going. And of course, uh, this is, uh, uh, there's no Sunday in the air in which this is more appropriate for us to think about this than Easter Day. And so let's have a look at that verse. We're trying to get in place. Uh, We pray for the rest of our lives here, 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. And there are three great points in it, three steps to sharing our faith. And here's the first one. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. So that's the first step, revering Christ as Lord, setting Christ apart as Lord. Now, fearing God has been a big lesson right through the epistle. So it's in chapter 1, verse 17, live your lives as strangers in reverent fear. It's in chapter 2, verse 17, show the proper respect to everyone, fear God, honor the emperor. 
It's in chapter 2, verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. And it's now here in verse 15. But in your hearts, revere, fear Christ as Lord. Why? Why is that? I mean, you know, you know, why is that a help? I'm being mistreated. How can that be a help? When I'm facing suffering, why are you giving me one more thing to do as I'm trying to cope with this suffering? When I'm being slandered at the office, I'm being spoken of behind my back by my mates because I'm a Christian, and Peter gives me one more thing to worry about. How is that supposed to help me, you may say? It's tough enough as it is, and here you give me another instruction. Well, because Peter knows that when we fear God, we stop fearing men and women and the culture. Peter knows that there will, wait for it be, here's what he's talking about, a fear swap. There'll be a fear swap. So you see, if God is the one who occupies our minds and our thinking, then other fears and worries won't get a look in. Fear God and he'll deliver you from the fear of other things. Now Peter, in verse 14, quotes from Isaiah chapter 8. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you ought to regard as holy. He is the one you ought to fear. He is the one you ought to dread. He'll become a sanctuary. Now, just to give you the context of Isaiah chapter 8, it is the Assyrian invasion. In Isaiah, God's people feared the invasion of the Syrians. It was no joke. If you want to see that, then actually go down to the British Museum and see the walled panels of what the Assyrians did to their enemies and captors. They were, they were almost the Nazis of their day. Go down there and see the cruelty that they inflicted on those they invaded. And Peter yet writes, verse 14, do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. It's amazing. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. So Peter says... Don't fear them, fear God. If you fear God, you won't fear them. It's almost uh, as though each one of us has got a sort of certain fear capacity. So there's a kind of space in all of our heads for being worried about people's approval. We've all got it. And when we start fearing people, that's what makes their slander really, really hard. You see... If your whole self-esteem at work is bound up with what your boss thinks about you and you speak up as a Christian and your boss starts to slander you and give you a hard time, then that's going to be pretty crushing. Let alone if you're the only Christian in your family. If actually your mind is taken up with the approval of your family, we know that can be so hard. Because in your head, your thoughts about yourself are bound up with with uh, the people that you fear. If the thing you most fear is loss of friendship, being isolated, being alone in the crowd, then the power of your friends to ostracize you because of your Christian faith is going to really hurt. Because that is the thing you're most afraid of. You know, I don't want to lose my friends. I don't want to be passed over for promotion. I don't want my boss to be disappointed in me. So actually, their slander, now this is horrific, but it's true, controls you. Their slander controls you. But Peter says, what if you fill up all of your capacity for worrying about what people think, all of your fear capacity, with fear of God? What if... 
he were the one whose approval really counted for you. If he was the one you wanted to please, if he was the one you, you were afraid of disappointing in any conversation. And actually, this is so liberating. Because uh, if you have a big enough view of God, there's just not the space to worry about what uh, uh, others think at the same time. And of course, we've got to get our understanding of the word fear right. I mean, I fear my wife, Lucy. If you haven't met her, you need to know that she is not a 30-stone Russian shot putter, my wife. Um, That's not why I fear her. And I can assure you that she's not a violent woman. So never when I'm far too late home is she stood at the doorstep brandishing a rolling pin. Nor does she have a vicious tongue. She's very gentle. Yet I fear her. I fear upsetting her. I fear upsetting her. I really do hate behaving in ways that leave her upset, distraught, or let down. And I asked her if I could use that illustration, and she said, the problem is, Rike, you don't fear me enough. <laughs> anyway, pray for us, pray for us. <laughs> Revering Jesus here is part of loving him. He does know what's best for us. He does know how we're to flourish. But we need to fear him too. We fear hurting him. We fear letting him down. So, of course, the question comes, brother, sister, How often have you stopped yourself from talking about Jesus Christ because you fear the negative response you might get? How often? And Peter says we overcome that by being more concerned about the response we'll get from Jesus Christ because he knows. And you see in verse 15, the verb is present tense. In your heart, revere Christ as Lord. So so we have to keep putting the fear, the reverence, the love of Christ at the center. Um, I don't know much about art galleries, but uh, normally in a decent gallery, there is one place that is the best place for the best piece of art uh, to be displayed, uh, where the light is just right, where the aesthetics are just right, to bring out the best in the masterpiece. Um, I once went to the Louvre uh, Museum uh, in, in Paris, I only went to impress you so I could tell you I went there. (laughs) But in prime position at the end of two huge great halls was the Venus de Milo. It's just amazing as these two halls led to that one piece of art. It was extraordinary. Now, our hearts are similar. Uh, Lots of things vie for prime position, brothers and sisters. What do you daydream about? When your mind wanders, where does it go? What gets your heart racing? And Peter says, but in your hearts revere Jesus as Lord. Now, how do we do that? Well, here is um, something that I do, and it really reminds me to put uh, Jesus first, especially when I'm uh, talking to people who are outside the Christian faith and maybe saying I'm saying something difficult, or actually when I, I had a conversation this morning when I had to say this to myself as I had this conversation this morning. And it's particularly helpful when I'm, I'm trying to invite people, say to the, the sports quiz, that it's going to be great. Christians in sport organize it. You don't have to be a sporty person. It's great fun. They do a brilliant job organizing six rounds with all the uh, sort of media that goes with it. And indeed, um, the uh, revolution resurrection event as well. If I'm just trying to do that, 
What do I do? Well, I, I have, as it were, a 1 Peter 3.15 swing. I, it's, like a, it's like a golf swing. Now, I don't, I don't know where any of you stand with the game of golf, and I'm so sorry to bring my club here. But you see, when I'm, when I'm trying to play golf... So here we go, down here. Now, just to say, um, I'm going to hit this, and if I do kill anyone, I just apologise, but this is a resurrection sermon, so you'll be all right. We'll bury you for free. Now, the problem when I hit a golf ball, uh, brothers and sisters here, is, you see, is that as I hit the ball, so often I only hit it with my arms. You see, that's the problem. Great catch. That was amazing. What's your name, brother? Well, concentrate on the sermon. It's just amazing. Now, now, you see, it's no good when I go with my arms. What I have to do is get my considerable weight through the ball. So as I hit the ball, as I hit it, I always go through. Do you see that got a bit higher? You can keep it. Do keep it. It's a gift. Now, when it comes, brother, now this is serious, brothers and sisters, when it comes to speaking for Jesus, we have to have a swing thought. As we're speaking, so as you, uh, through the ball is my swing thought. As we're speaking, we have to have a swing thought. And this will change your life and your evangelism. Never forget it. Here's the swing thought. A fear swing, a swap swing thought. I fear God, not you. So as I'm speaking to people, being gracious, but I'm, whoever they are, whoever they are, I'm thinking, I fear God, not you. I've had to have that as I've spoken to senior clergy. I've had that as I've spoken to enormous rugby friends. I fear God, not you, whoever it is. Gracious, it is so liberating. And I fear God because actually Christ is victorious. He wins. The resurrection proves it. I fear God, not you. And as I'm inviting people maybe just to an event, I'm thinking, oh, Lord, please. But, you know, I'm, I'm not intimidated here. Lord, you're the one I fear. My fear capacity is filled up by you. I fear God, not you. It is a wonderful antidote to fear. And let me say this. After 30 years being involved in evangelism at this church, the people that repeatedly, graciously speak about their faith have done this. The fear swap. And the people who haven't, don't. And there can be lovely people who've been here for years, and I love them very much, but they've never done it, and they never speak because they're afraid because they've never done it. The fear swap. Absolutely care. I fear God, not you. That's the swing thought as we speak. We're going to go quicker now. But secondly, secondly, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You see, the second step here is always be prepared. Always be prepared. Now, if the first reason we fail to speak of Jesus is fear of rejection, the second is not knowing what to say. Now, what is the reason for the hope that we have? Of course, it's the resurrection. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus. That's what we're going to be talking about. The resurrection. The reason for our hope is the resurrection of Jesus. So we're sure that uh, what happens here is not everything. That frightening things here are not the be-all and end-all that there is a heavenly home to which we are headed, an inheritance to which we've been born because of the resurrection of Jesus. And that is why we're sure of these things. 
Death could not hold him. He was, was victorious. He wins. And if I align myself with him, I will win too in life. And that's the true story we're in. Do you know, recently in the, in the Sunday school downstairs, one of the leaders told me this, Dom Hughes. He was down there and he said, as they were talking of the resurrection, who do you most want to see in heaven? And a nine-year-old boy said to him, my mother, she died four years ago. But she, he, he said to me, do you know that little boy was, was, was okay? He's just waiting to see her again. This matters what we say. And we know in this life that categorically, the last thing is not the worst thing. So rather than fearing what people may do to us, we recognize the lordship of Jesus. I recently came across this story of a, a pastor in Romania who was persecuted for his faith under the Ceausescu regime. And this is what he wrote. The greatest threat that they have is the power to kill you. And our greatest victory is to die. So whenever they said, we're going to kill you, I said, I can hardly wait. Get on with it. <laughs> Literally, they just didn't know what to do with him. Can you imagine it? You know, kill me, that's wonderful. If not, I'll go on proclaiming Christ. It literally was a modern version of to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, why is that man like that? It's because he's convinced of the victory of Jesus. And he fears the Lord Jesus, who, to whom he's entrusted himself more than them. Closer to London. How about this story? I heard this story of an investment banker who worked in the city in the 90s. And he was working on one week's notice. One week's notice. So every week, the pressure was on. He'd have to reach his targets by Friday, or he'd been made redundant. And he had a mortgage, and he had a wife and children. Can you imagine the stress? But amazingly, he didn't uh, get stressed, and God was very good to him, and so were the markets, and he worked his way through. And then in 2008, when there was a massive financial crash, and Lehman's collapsed, some of those guys who were previous colleagues and watched him under the one-week notice regime, got in contact and asked, how did you get through that period of stress? With one week's notice, with redundancy hanging over you, over your head every day with, with a wife and ch- children and a mortgage, and that sword of Damocles hanging over you. And he would say, well, because I'm a Christian, and I trust my God. Ultimately, this world and its financial markets aren't everything. My security is not here and my certainty is in heaven. And they would ask why and he would reply, I'm certain of that because of the resurrection of Jesus. And that would be the Christian's answer. And is that the answer that you would give? Could you give that answer? Well, this is the reason for my hope, the resurrection of Jesus And this is about how we, when the pressure is on, when the chips are down, uh, how we live lives that provoke questions and, and give answers. I love the French philosopher who said, make it attractive, make good men wish that it were true, and then show them it is. So can you give a reason for the hope that you have? Now, can you say, I have solid grounds for my certainty about the resurrection of Jesus? Uh, here is something I, I, I found really helpful. It's, it's simple, but I keep it in my mind as I'm doing an apologia, apologia, a reason for the hope I have. Here are my three E's. I do think they're helpful. The three Easter E's, do jot them down. The tomb was empty. The account was early. The change was extraordinary. So, so, so uh, uh, the tomb was empty. So what happened to the body of Jesus? Why was it never produced? 
And what about the 11 recorded sightings of Jesus, one to 500 people at one time? What do you make of that? What else could have happened to the body? Did the disciples die for a lie, as the Jewish authorities claimed, uh, because they'd hidden the body? Secondly, the, earlier, the account was early. It wasn't written by people far away and long ago. They were eyewitnesses. Uh, that, you know, that was one of the first things that really disturbed C.S. Lewis. An atheist said, you know, the New Testament documents are distressingly early and authentic to him. And he was saying, what? What? Thought it was a fairy story. And, 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 and the accounts are so credible. You know, they were written in a lifetime when evidence could be produced. Thirdly, the change was extraordinary. These men who were, who were running on Good Friday and hiding on Easter Sunday were transformed into men whose flaming courage changed the world and, and, and most of them died proclaiming this faith. How do you explain it? So those three years, uh, if we're getting that out. And just to say, perhaps you're here this evening and you've come on this Easter evening and you're here, but you're not sure of those things. We would love to discuss them with you. In fact, I've got my colleague, Christine, here. Christine, do, do come up. Well, what happens if someone's interested in terms of checking out uh, the resurrection here, Christine? What would you recommend? Yeah, so on Monday the 17th, we'd love for you to come back um, here. We've got an event that Rico mentioned called Resurrection Revolution. And basically, it's an opportunity for you to listen to some thought-provoking short talks from a variety of speakers um, talking about the events of that first Easter and why it was revolutionary and why it's been life-changing for them. Um, and there's opportunities for conversation as well during the night. Christine, if people want to then, you know, they come that evening, but they then want to know more, what can they do mid-May? So mid-May, we're starting um, Christianity Explored. Um, so that's on Monday, the 15th of May. Um, so again, in this room, come along. We're going to be going through Mark's Gospels, but it will be a great place for you to bring your questions. We're going to be looking at who Jesus is, why he came, and what it means to follow him. And just to say, verse 15 here shows that that uh, uh, the, God, the, the New Testament account love questions. They love questions. Christine, what about if people actually are here and they say, look, I'm here this Easter evening. I am a Christian. I'd love to get better at explaining my faith. What can we offer them if people want to do that? Yeah, so I haven't always been um, prepared to give a reason um, for my hope either. And practice um, really helps. So we're running a course um, starting on the 11th of May called um, Living and Telling. Um, and you can find out more at that link. And basically, it's an interactive course, runs for eight weeks um, online. And then there's one in-person session at the end. Um, and it's basically discipleship and evangelism that will help any Christian grow um, in living for Jesus and telling others about him. So we'll look at things like um, getting our identity secure in Jesus, thinking about our story, how to tell it well, how to tell the gospel clearly, spiritual um, warfare, um, and how we can put the armour of God on, the Holy Spirit, um, just lots of stuff that's practical um, 
and lots of opportunities to practically um, do some exercises in pairs as well to get it in place and actually give it a go. And, and it's online, so you can get home on a Thursday evening, eight o'clock. Just flick on the, or what is it, seven thirty? Flick on the uh, on the screen. Uh, you'll be in pairs, but we we give it to a group. We found lots of people have found that helpful. We, over a hundred people have trained that way. And um, perhaps you're in love with someone. Why not do that course with them? It'd be a great thing to do. Wouldn't it's it? a great yeah. date night. Great date night. Brilliant. Thank you, Christine. Great. I must draw to a close. And uh, as we come back to our our verse here. Can you see, but do this with gentle respect. Number one, revere Christ as Lord. Do the fear swap. Fear him, not others. Number two, be prepared to give an answer. Come to living and telling. Let's work at that, those three E's around the resurrection. But lastly, uh, do this with gentleness and respect. Um, It may be that you're here and you're not a Christian. Well, can I tell you, when you come, uh, the Bible says we are to be very gentle. So we long to have you here. And we are going to do all we can to be gracious. We'd love to hear your questions. It's incredibly important to us that we're, we're gentle. Respect means actually the word for, it's a word for God. It's a word for fearing the Lord. Respect means we're going to respect the Lord and try and tell you the truth as faithfully as we can. So those two things go together. Be gentle. That's the, uh, that's the, 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 the horizontal. Be respectful. That's the vertical. And so that'll be there. Well, I don't know what strikes you this evening as we come together from this verse. I don't know which uh, 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 instruction is there for you, but can I say uh, this Easter night, if these things are true, then there's nothing more important in the world than we act upon the resurrection and get the message out because it promises us we're going to win. Let's pray together.